I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New, New England. England. Welcome back to another episode. We are so glad you are here. Hi. Um, today we have a case that is hard to find information on. Yeah. And that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find that happening with cases that are small town, not as big profile as some of the classic ones like Jeffrey Dahmer, Ed Gein, Ted Bundy, whatever. Everyone could find information about every aspect of those cases, which is fine, but that's not what we do here. Right, and that's not what we want to talk about. You know, We'll yeah. cover bigger profile cases, of course, because they're so interesting and they mm-hmm. happened in New England, but it's cases like the one we're going to cover today that really are meaningful for us to talk about. Oh, yeah. And like I said, a part of the problem with that is that there's no information, right. or little to none, and then you have trouble constructing a story, Mm -hmm. um, which of course is kind of like the goal of these podcasts is to tell a story about the victim or, you know, the crime. And that's, you can't really have a podcast without a story, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like you and I could chit chat and we, I mean, we do, but it doesn't really make like a story. Right. Like a cohesive. Yeah. Right. Like just, yeah, a story. So that's why it's so hard to find good tales to tell in New England because there's not as much information on them like there would be in other states, other cases. So, you know, we have a lot of cases that you hear, like Ted Bundy, where every single state knows about it. There's information about every connection. There's so much. And all we want to do on our show is cover the ones that don't get as much recognition. Yeah, so, you know, we both started doing this, or we both agreed to do this as kind of a fun thing and a hobby, but, you know, part of the rewarding thing about this is that even if one person listens and learns about a case that they had no idea existed and didn't really get a whole lot of media coverage, that is amazing for us. Oh my god, yeah. Because our mission, at the end of the day, is just telling stories that don't get told often enough. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the things we do tell you guys are already solved, which, you know, if you've listened to any of our episodes, Episodes. There have been several that have been solved. There's also been several that haven't been solved. Mm-hmm. And we're only, this is episode, what, nine? So, you know, there's a big balance between that. Um, and so what we're trying to do is just bring awareness to these smaller cases. That's literally our mission. Yeah. And that's why we started the podcast. Right. Well, because we're obsessed with true crime. Right. And it's just, it's a fun thing. But it is. This is an aspect of it that is really cool for us to do, too. Yeah, for sure. So um, if you follow us on Instagram, at truecrimene, um, you might have seen a few weeks ago, we posted pictures of ourselves. So there was one of me and then one of Katie. Mm-hmm. And it was just basically like a meet the host. Yeah. And in the caption, you know, we would said who we are, what we do, and why we like true crime. So what did you say, Katie? What was your... What did I say? I said I grew up on, you know, Stephen King and Forensic right. Files and, right. um, like, Goosebumps, R.L. Stein, oh like, all gosh. that. Of course. Um, and then my dad was also really into true crime. Mm. He's, like, obsessed with true crime. Um, he's actually retired NYPD, so he told me a lot of stories from that growing up. Which I'm sure was pretty scary um, at a young age. Yeah, like, Brooklyn in the 90s, because we're from oh. Brooklyn. Um, yeah, so that was wild, but... Jesus. He told me about a lot of the cases that I added to our spreadsheet of cases, yes. and I was like, oh my god, that's real? Like, yeah. adding it, so I can talk to my dad about true crime mm-hmm. for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so that upbringing kind of 
made me get into it. Yeah, like reinforced your Yeah. You're hearing from like a young little Katie age. You're like, What dad? This person murdered who in their basement? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like what? Cool. You, you found a trunk load of heroin? Oh my <laughs> god. Dad. And then my mom's like reading a passage out loud from The Stand by Stephen King as I'm like <gasps> My quaking. favorite book. I'm literally sitting there at age nine. I'm like, oh my god. Like holding back tears. Yeah. I'm like, pull together, pull together. Oh my god. But now I'm like, let's get into it. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I think a part of the reason why, because Stephen King is huge, not only where our school our school was huge, but also, you know, in Maine, because that's where Stephen King is right. from. Hi, New England. Hi, New England. What's up? Um, also, fun fact, we went to school with Stephen King's grandson. Yeah. I went to elementary school, actually, with him, so I've known him since I was probably about six or seven. Um, he always lived in our town, and so I grew up with him, and, you know, it wasn't until we got older that people were like, oh... King, like Stephen King, you know how people say that, like as a joke. And yeah. You're like, uh huh. And we were like, ah. I got into an argument with him um, in like the sixth grade. <laughs> I want to say. <laughs> oh my god. Because they sat us alphabetically next to each other, and my last name's King too. That's. I literally just connected that. So we sit next to each other, and he's like, "Oh, I'm related to Stephen King." I was like, "Yeah, bullshit, you are." So am I. I was like, "I'm related to Stephen King." <laughs> He goes, no, fuck you. I'm going to bring in, like, a family photo. Right, yeah. And he showed me proof. He's like, there I am. We're all in family photos together. These are his corgi dogs. Yes. I was like, oh, I just got schooled by yeah. Stephen King's literal grandson. Literal. And his dad is Joe Hill, who is mm-hmm. also a well-known writer. Um, very well-known. He's a great. They're both, obviously, fantastic writers. Yeah. But I think the reason why a lot of people that we know were really into Stephen King is because where he's from, all of his stories are like based out of here, and we literally knew his grandson, who I have a very fond memory with him where he elbowed me an entire bus ride home. (laughs) (laughs) For no reason. It was like fifth grade. I was like, do you mind? So funny. So that's that's interesting that you were, you know, into Stephen King. Yeah. I mean... I can't say all of us were, which makes sense. And then I also loved Stephen King. The Stand is my favorite book of all time. So good. It's really, it's crazy. And Stephen King used to go to our high school and like present. He never did when we were there, but he did like a year before we got there, Mm -hmm. which is so cool. Because I mean, hello, Stephen King. Like legendary. Yeah. And so I remember going, when I went to college in Maine, I would be like, yeah, guys, um, I went to school with Stephen King's grandson, and they were they were like, who, he's from Maine, like, we don't give a shit. I'm like, Forgot that's not as cool here. Because if I went to, like, Georgia, I'd be like, I went to school with Stephen King's grandson. And they're like, oh, my God. No way. Oh, my God, that's yeah. so cool. But in Maine, they're like, he's goes to the same laundromat as me. Not that yeah. Stephen King would ever go to a laundromat, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, they're like, oh, uh, we could go to his house right now. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. big whoop-de-doo. We just yeah. saw him at fucking Market Basket. I know, like, yeah. It's not as impressive when you're from here. But anywho, so that was your post was mm-hmm. about why you liked true crime, mm-hmm. which is great. Love that. Mine was about um, my dad. So my dad um, told me this story when I was probably like nine maybe I don't even know how old I was but um that was the reason why I've always been interested in true crime and Katie you've heard this story 17,000 times anyone who knows me has heard this story because I'm always like 
oh, you like true crime? What about this one? Because mm-hmm. I, it's one of those stories that I want to bring awareness to. Right. Um, so I was talking to my dad today about this case. I talked to him about it a lot. Um, so on the Instagram post, I didn't go into a lot of detail. I don't want to go into a lot of detail now because we are going to be doing an episode dedicated to this story, um, which will be very tender and hard for me to talk about because um, I do get kind of emotional mm-hmm. thinking about it only because of my uh, personal ties to it. Um, in short, my dad growing up had a, a very good friend that he always hung out with who lived really close by named Brian. And Brian had a little sister named Tammy. She was, when this happened, she was eight and they were 17. So there was a good age gap. Um, One day in November, Tammy was abducted. And this was in November of 1984. Um, She was abducted and she's never been found. Um, So that was almost 37 years ago. And Tammy has never been seen again. Now, this hurts my heart because my dad... This was like his very good friend's little sister. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, he's known her since she was a little baby. And, you know, it was like just someone he had in his life often. So um, when he told me that case when I was like a little girl, first of all, it scared me. um, But it also got me really into true crime. Yeah. Like, because it's one of those things where like, oh, that happened less than two miles from my house. This is something that can happen anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like also a part of our mission here at True Crime New England is to be like, this shit happens anywhere. Mm-hmm. It can happen to you. It could happen to me. Um, but like we were also saying, we wanted to do cases that were low profile, quote unquote, in terms of that they don't get any coverage on the news. So Tammy's case does get quite a bit of coverage or it did back then but it hasn't gotten enough and so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast I even at one point wanted to do one just dedicated to her story because there's a lot of moving parts in it Mm -hmm. um if you guys are fans of my favorite murder like me and Katie are Mm -hmm. our favorite podcast literally like our mothers I love them so much (laughs) And, you know, they do such a great job with their network, and they have the Exactly Right Media Network, which is fantastic. I love them. I love Georgia and Karen. I love Stephen Ray Morris, who is, like, I don't want to say, he's not my buddy, but, like, he's an acquaintance. Um, <laughs> we're, he's, um, no, he's not really. We, we've exchanged some stuff on Instagram. Like, he's a, he's a very friendly guy. Um, but I've talked to him just a little bit, and um, he follows me, whatever. Um, no big deal. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm geeking out. I love him. He's the best. But they have a lot of great shows on their network. Yeah. Um, Murder Squad is one of their shows. And if you don't know what that show is about, um, it's basically two men. Paul Holes, who basically solved the Golden State Killer case along with um, a lot of other people. But he was the one who kind of like used DNA to like definitively. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. Insane. I still remember when that happened. I was like, Mm -hmm. what? Um, And then Billy Jensen, who is an investigative journalist, um, true crime journalist um he's from boston actually um so they have this ep- this show called murder squad and they basically talk about cases that are unsolved and how us as listeners are armchair sleuths can help and solve these old crimes they've had this show for probably about two years now i want to say it's a great show my dad is a big fan i haven't had a chance to listen to it in a while um but they do great stuff um 
the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it kind of talks about why we're talking about smaller cases. Mm-hmm. Because in a semi-recent episode of Jensen and Holes, The Murder Squad, um, they talked about this girl named Christy Luna. Now, Christy Luna was eight years old in Florida in 1984 when she was abducted and never seen from again. She was actually abducted by the same man that abducted Tammy. Now, Tammy, in this episode, they covered Christy's story. The whole episode was dedicated to Christy. And they mentioned Tammy one time. And now this is at no fault to Jensen and Holes. This is not no deal at all. Like, I'm not mad at them. I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying that there was another girl connected to Christy Luna, who was Tammy, like Exeter's Tammy. Mm-hmm. And she just got one mention, just her name, that they thought she could be connected. So, of course, you know, my dad told me this and I was like, oh, my God, somebody like they mentioned her name. And I was so excited. And then, you know, on the Instagram, they posted like a picture of Christy like they do every week. And it was like no mention of Tammy. And I just felt so crushed and I I was heartbroken. And then my dad the next day said to me, oh, I'm reading the synopsis on their website. And it says that Tammy was missing from Exeter, New Jersey. And so, of course, as you guys know, Exeter, New Hampshire. And so I said, oh, my God, like, that's awful. And my dad, I've never heard him say these words. He said, that makes me, like, heartbroken because, like, it's not a big deal, but it is. Because if anyone were to, like, have information and they see, like, oh, Exeter, New Jersey, never mind. You know, he was, like, really visibly upset. And I said, Oh, no, no. I do not like this. I do not like this. So I actually, I did everything I could. I emailed um, the Murder Squad. I DM'd them on uh, Twitter, on Instagram. I commented on their photos. Not, again, not mad at them. This is obviously just a typo. Like, no big deal. But I wanted it to be fixed. So I messaged them. After, like, three days, finally, I got an email back, actually, from Billy Jensen. And I just about pooped my (laughs) pants. I was like, Billy. And for those of you, because you can't see me, I'm bowing. I'm bowing right now. (laughs) I love Billy Jensen. But I said, hey, it's not a big deal. Like, I know it wasn't on purpose. But on your website, it says Exeter, New Jersey. Tammy went missing from Exeter, New Hampshire. And so, of course, they were like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, we just saw that. Like, we're changing it now. And they changed it. And that's great. And they, you know, so now it has the correct information on it. But what I'm trying to get at is, is that there's so many cases like this where there's other parts of the story that just don't get told. Right. So, you know, we have this beautiful eight-year-old girl, Christy Luna. She's blonde, blue-eyed, cute little thing. She went missing getting food for her new kittens that she found. And she was never seen again, alive or dead. And then you have Tammy, who is a brown-haired, has a lazy eye girl who was walking to school. And she was abducted and never heard from or seen from again. It's like, what's the difference? Why does one get more over another? You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's just weird how that works out. And you see that all over the place with these cases. All the time. And it's really sad because a lot of the time, this is unfortunately so common. Yeah. We hear about these horrible things that happen all the time. I mean, this one's abducted. And you talk to anybody and they oh, yeah. know someone who was raped, yeah. murdered, almost murdered, right. has an experience. Yeah. They know someone. And it's yeah. I feel like with all of this, we've become kind of desensitized to it and so it's like a lot of these cases that need 
to be advocated for, yeah. they just aren't getting the coverage that they need. And we see this a lot with, especially children, children of yeah. color or people of color where they yeah. don't get that media coverage. Like, again, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, right. gorgeous little girl would. Right. That That's what the media goes for. Is exactly. This sweet little America sweetheart, pageant queen, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, mm-hmm. they get all the coverage. Right. And then, you know, we have these cases where, you know, a girl with a lazy eye from right. a small town in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, I think, is a huge part of it. Or children of color, they right. don't get right. any of this coverage. Yeah. So when I was talking about this with my dad today, he was like, well, why do you... He was asking me, like, why do you think that is? And I said, do you think it's because maybe she was in Florida, which is a bigger state, mm-hmm. well-known, is known also more for more crime versus New Hampshire? Like, do you think that is what it was? And he said, he was like, I don't know. Like, I was just wondering what you thought. And I think that's part of it, mm-hmm. you know? Like, obviously, a case in California is going to have more, you know, prominence in the news versus a case in Maine. It's right. just one of those things. Right. It's just how it happens. And I do want to point out, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said, she she doesn't have a lazy eye per se. She had an injury to her eye. Oh. Yeah, when she was helping her dad um, getting, like, staples out of, like, a wall or something. <gasps> and she took the screwdriver and, like, jabbed herself in the Stop. eye. Yeah, my dad told me that story not too recently. Until then, I thought she had a lazy eye. However, she had, like, an eye injury. So, and it happened, like, within a year of her going missing so her eye appears as if though it's a lazy eye however it was an eye injury um but the same idea i just wanted to clarify that Mm -hmm. in case my dad gets mad at me um (laughs) because i think he will but um like we're saying that's just that's just a part of like how crime is presented Mm -hmm. and our goal ultimately is to take those cases that aren't as widely known however hard it is to do research on and however deep we get into Google and the weird movies we're watching on YouTube, because if just one more person knows, then maybe, you know, there are some answers out there. Do we think that'll happen through our podcast? No, no, no. Could we hope? Yeah. Sure. And if one person that listens to this learns of this case then that's that's something that's one more person that's aware that's all that matters mm-hmm. to me personally i don't i can't speak for you but i'm sure it's pretty up there oh yeah um of course you know we love talking about true crime we love hanging out talking about true crime um we like spreading awareness that's literally it for mm. us so we just wanted to come on here talk about that before we got into this very hard to find information case mm-hmm. and Go from there. So, yeah, we wanted to talk about our mission, um, especially with smaller cases, because a a very small case is what we're going to be covering today. Very true. And without further ado, we will be discussing the the suspicious death death of of Louis DeFusco. Okay, so the suspicious death of Louis DeFusco. Mm -hmm. Very hard to find information on, but nevertheless, we persisted. Now, Katie... Your sources. I got information from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, South Coast Today, and then ABC6 Rhode Island. All right. Fancy. I also got stuff from those locations, Mm -hmm. as well as Web Sleuths, um, Strange Little Worlds, which was a podcast. Cool. Um, They covered his case very briefly. And then Wikipedia, of course. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's get into... The wacky, just so bizarre death of this man. So, a little bit about Louis DeFusco. Mm-hmm. He was the youngest of six, which I'm sure was intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And his father was an Italian immigrant, which is like, that's also intimidating. Um, he was hard working, great businessman. Mm -hmm. So they say, I guess, I'm sure he was. He was a dad, he had three children, and he loved to golf and fish, mm -hmm. as you do. Yeah, his one of his older brothers um, described him as being a beautiful kid, a good-looking kid, a good boy, and that was his older brother, Anthony. Aww. Um, so this was a very sad, these are just very sad and fucked up circumstances. Yeah, they really are. Mm -hmm. um, August 6th, 1964. That's a quite some time ago. Let me do the math real quick. 57 years ago. Actually, Shit. when we're recording this, it'll be 57 years ago exactly in three days. That's right. Yeah. So, weird. But anyway, so this is back in the day. Mm -hmm. Louis had just bought a new set of golf clubs, and he decided to go take his boat out on the marina. I believe it was the Warwick Marina. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the official name, but it was in Warwick. Yeah. Um... And so he was last seen leaving that marina in Warwick that night. And that was the last time anyone saw him alive. Mm -hmm. Because 12 days later, his body was found floating in Narragansett Bay, which is also in Rhode Island. Yes. So a little bit more about the marina that he was last seen at. Um, him and his brother had actually sold it pretty recently. Um, and the marina was about 12 miles south of Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. Um... So I guess Louis, he was a businessman, and this is what he dealt with. Right. Um, and then, you know, 12 days go by, and he's not seen or heard from, and then his body is just floating in the water of this bay. So fucking weird. Mm hmm And so what they discovered was that he had a bullet in his mouth with broken teeth. Now, not that there was an entry wound, quote-unquote, to the bullet. There was literally just a bullet in his mouth. And the other weird thing was that there was an anchor tied to his legs. So your first thought, obviously, is suicide, right, Katie? You know, <laughs> apparently that's what investigators came to the conclusion of. Yeah. I don't know how. Um, I don't know the logistics, but yeah, they actually pretty quickly ruled it as a suicide. Um, and then his family and friends were like, there's no way he could have done this. What he fuck? just bought a new set of golf clubs earlier that day that he went missing. Yeah. You know, he's a businessman. He has three children. He loves them. Yeah. He... They're young children, too. I believe mm -hmm. he was 38 when he died. Yeah. So I can't imagine his children were much older than, like, 18, right. you know? Yeah, they were all under the age of 18, oh. um, two boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, you know, he. there's no possible way that this yeah. was suicide, so maybe do a little further investigation. Yeah. Which they did not. Which, nope. They were because... very sure of right. themselves. Well, because, you know, he had a clearly attempted suicide because the bullet was in his mouth. Sure. And when it failed, he said, you know what? Screw another bullet. I'm going to tie my legs to an anchor, throw the anchor off the boat, then my, you know, I'll follow, or maybe he threw himself off the boat with the anchor behind, or like you said earlier, Katie, hugged the anchor with all of his limbs and just bombs away. With a bullet wound to his face. No problem. Technicalities. No problem. Yeah. So obviously all of us here reading it were like, how the fuck did they say that that was suicide? Even in 1964, like some, 
you know, some sources I read were like, you know, maybe the, because it's the 1960s, there's no forensic. I don't give a fuck <laughs> about the lack of DNA evidence or forensic whatever. You look at this and you use some common sense here. Yeah. Well, that didn't exist in 1964, unfortunately. Well, I mean, that's what people are saying. Like, I don't understand. I think we can be honest and say it. If that happened today, nobody would for even a second think that was a suicide. I mean, depending on... Well, with the anchor... You would hope. Right, right. You would hope to God. Yeah. With the anchor tied around his legs, to me, that felt like not suicide. Because he had a bullet in his mouth. Like, it just doesn't add up. No, the, it the whole, doesn't. it doesn't. But actually, authorities, get oh, this, oh were no. so sure of themselves that they actually went to Louis' home and yeah. in front of his young children, his 15-year-old, at the time, his 15-year-old son actually recalls this. Um, authorities were so positive that this is what had happened, they performed a demonstration uh-uh. of how this would have unfolded in front of his children. Can you imagine? Can you fucking imagine? So his son, who was 15 at the time, said that this was very traumatic. Hmm. But I can't imagine why. Because that's so normal and not at all bad policing. Not even a little. I don't get it. And (laughs) unfortunately, this is not the first case, nor will it be the last, where we talk about how fucked up the police were in this situation. <laughs> yeah, it happens quite a bit, mm-hmm. if you haven't noticed. If you listen to our Sheila Labar episode... Jesus Christ, more Murray, they fucked oh it up there. God, like, forget it. Anyway, this isn't a slandering podcast against the cops. Um, so, you know, the reason why they were like, okay, besides the hard evidence why it could be suicide, was that he was currently in the process of divorcing his wife, which, you know, to them seemed like a fair reason to kill himself, which, you know, it's definitely not unheard of that people have killed themselves over relationships or impending divorces. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not unheard of. Um, but his family said it wasn't like a nasty divorce. And, you know, he, like you said, he had three children. Mm-hmm. Um, they originally were kind of suspicious of the wife, but she was in Arizona with two of their kids at the time. Mm-hmm. So it didn't add up. It didn't make sense. Right, this poor woman, um, his soon-to-be ex-wife, her name's Lucia, um, and then two of the children with her in Arizona were um, the daughter, Roberta, and then William. Yeah, they were kicking in Arizona. Yeah. So it's not like she would have been there to oversee. Right. You know, I just, I, the logic, it I just, like, don't. It just doesn't make sense. And so, you know, they rule it a suicide, they say... Rest in peace, sir. Mm-hmm. Suicide by drowning is yeah. what the official... Right. Very sad. Which, load of bullshit, but, you know, continue. <laughs> which, I mean, yeah. And it's pretty sad, you know, if that is... However he died, thinking of someone t- with the anchor tied around their, you know, their legs, that makes me really sad. Just in general. That's That's awful. a terrible way to go. That's awful. Especially if he drowned. That's one oh, of my biggest fears. Me too. Drowning. Oh, because you can't breathe. Oh, I hate. I mean, the deep sea in general, like the water anywhere above my waist where I can't see. Even in a pool, I'm like the sharks. Someone was like, "Let's go swimming in a lake." I'm like, um, murky where I can't see the bottom. Like, I'm sorry, this is not true. The the lake sharks that. No, I'm just kidding, guys. There are no lake sharks. A snapping turtle that they took. No, (gasps) true though. That's a good point. No, even just a little pinchy crab. Which are there crabs in lakes? Rewind. That doesn't make sense. When seaweed wraps around your... <gasps> uh, 
Anywho. Anyway. Drowning. If that is how Louis ended up going. Mm-hmm. Awful. Drowning. Th- awful. Mm-hmm. Horrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sad for him and so yes. sad for his family that that is how he went. Because ultimately he died. Mm-hmm. Very sad. And then he does not get justice right. for his death. Right. And he still, there is no justice still. However, 42 years later, after his death in 2006, they, the family exhumed his body because they were moving it to a new burial site, like a family plot or something. Mm-hmm. And while they had his body up, they were like, we should have this, like, re-autopsied. And so they did. And what the medical examiner found, that the first... I almost said autopsian. Um, what are they? The medical examiner. Right. The first medical examiner did not find was the entry wound of the bullet to the back of his head. So that's how the bullet got in his mouth and broke his teeth because it entered through the back of his head, which automatically changed his cause of death from suicide by drowning mm-hmm. to homicide. Which, hello. Duh. Uh, that's what I don't under- and you know they tried to one of the sources I read tried to kind of justify it like 12 days in the water there's going to be bloating there's going to be yeah. slippage there's going to be decomposition yeah regardless mm-hmm. the autopsy needs to be thorough yes and I think that missing a bullet wound <laughs> to the back of the head is a little either sloppy work yeah or it was intentional that Ooh. they missed it I didn't think of that. That was what I... That was something that I kind of speculated. Um, I mean, nothing's been proven, but... No, no. That's a good theory, though. Mm -hmm. I like that. And we'll talk a little bit more about why that theory could be true in a bit. Yes. So, you know, now, obviously, the family didn't have answers, but they had a little more closure. Like, okay, so now we know that our dad didn't kill himself, Mm -hmm. which brought them comfort, um, I'm sure in only a way that learning that your dad was murdered and not killed himself in a way that could bring comfort, mm-hmm. which I'm sure doesn't bring very much. But so, of course, they were like feeling a little better. But like, what the fuck happened to our dad now that he's confirmed not killed himself? Who killed him? Right. And then this makes the whole anchor wrapped around his leg situation even more fucked up. Because yeah. it's like. They knew he didn't do it himself, but now it's confirmed that he right. did not do that himself. Right. And now it's super fucking suspicious. Mm-hmm. Well, not that it wasn't before, because, I mean, come on now. Um, so, Louis' son, Robert, um, he was the one that was 15 at the time that was describing the police giving the demonstration right. in the home. Um, <laughs> he is convinced that this case is mob-related, mm-hmm. and he actually stated, nobody kills like that but the mob. Yep. Um, He also said that Louis was attempting to clean up the marina, and Robert feels like this might have angered some people, especially the mob, who could have been, you know, using that marina to smuggle things in or smuggle things out, and the fact that Louis had just sold it that very close to that day, Mm -hmm. it's very suspicious. That is very suspicious. Mm -hmm. And he even said, you know, his father was not involved in the mob, no way, and that there were shady characters who had boats. And some of them were mob-related figures. Mm -hmm. So it was starting to be like, okay. And prior to doing research for this, I had no idea there was a huge mob presence in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Not a single idea. Providence is like the one of the hubs for the New England mob presence. And keep in mind, this marina is only 12 miles from Providence. Yeah, that's true. 
So not too far off. This could very easily have been a port for the mob oh, to smuggle yeah. things. Sure. Um, or to do very credible real business. <laughs> Sorry, just covering myself. So one of the main mob presences in Providence, they're known as the Patriarcha Crime Family. And this is the only time we're going to be talking about the mob on this podcast. Um, there, you know, there's the Boston Mafia, and this is the only time we're going to mention them. Um, and again, nothing's proven. We're just we're talking in theory that this mm-hmm. is one of the theories that this could have been related to Louis' death. Right. And like we said, there's not much to go on anyway. Mm-hmm. So when this was one of those theories, it seemed like we could talk about it just a little bit. Sure. Um, so the Patriarcha crime family, they're also known as the New England crime family, the Providence Mafia. They're related to the Boston Mafia. Um, they have heavy ties in Rhode Island as well mm-hmm. as Boston. Um, and because of the prevalence of this mob in Providence, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were thinking that there was a relation. Right. Um, so this crime family has two different factions. So one's in Boston, one's in Providence. Right. Um, it was founded in 1916, a little before the Prohibition. Mm. Um, and this man, his last name is Messina, he started the crime family in Boston. And then they merged in 1932 um, with a man named Frank Morelli, who had the Providence crime family. Okay. So together they merged and, you know, the patriarchal crime family. Um, they became one. They became one. <laughs> yes. Um, and then they moved from Boston okay. to Providence. Gotcha. The man that took over the crime family, Raymond Patriarcha, he's the one that relocated to Providence. Yeah. So not only was he very skilled at evading law enforcement and keeping a quote-unquote low profile. Somehow. Which I would assume is pretty important being a mobster. You don't want the cops up your ass, like, right. leading them back to headquarters right. or whatever. Um he used a cigarette manufacturing company mm. and a coinomatic distributor company, which is like a pinball and vending machine, mm-hmm. whatever. He used those as his front organizations while like in the back they're doing all sorts of stuff. So very interesting. Because you hear a lot of different of course this is, you know, TV portrayals of mafia and mob stuff. And you know, they do like laundering through like casinos and mm-hmm. all that. So when I read that he was this was happening with cigarettes and vending machines i was like that's a choice but it's very 1960s of them so makes makes sense sure yeah so some of the crimes that this family engaged in um gambling murder racketeering robbery loan sharking extortion money laundering um you know all that fun yeah perfectly legal no, stuff i love that you put murder in between like racketeering like just little money laundering <laughs> murder um <laughs> tax know. evasion <laughs> so you know just the just no. the um we dabbled and then this family insisted that they did not deal with drugs or narcotics right but, um there's speculation that that is completely untrue. Yeah. I read somewhere that every card game, prostitution ring, and illegal business in Providence had a kickback to the Patriarcha family. So basically everything that was going on that was a little shady, at the very least, all like some part of it went back to Raymond Patriarcha. Who thousand was, percent. Oh, for sure. Which is, I mean, good for him. I don't... Rich guy. Jesus. But, um... Apparently, listen, this mob family, as with a lot of mob families that are portrayed in the media and, Mm -hmm. you know, movies and whatnot, choosing my words very carefully, um, they tend to 
be very loyal to each other, mm -hmm. but if you ruin their trust, they're going to turn on you mm -hmm. because you, you know, broke that trust. Right. Right? Um, allegedly, Raymond Patriarca, who was the, you know, the main, I don't know what the term is, the head cojona. What? Sure. Sure. Okay. Um, the the guy in charge. Sure. Yeah. Um, he allegedly ordered the murder of his brother for failing to notice an electronic surveillance device placed in his office by federal agents. Jesus Christ. I mean, so without any blame, of course, because we love everyone here. <laughs> and we definitely don't want to be any trouble or enemy to any <laughs> mob-related figures. I'm very Irish. The Irish and Italians get along so well. Oh my gosh, they love do. You. We this love you. This is all it. a theory. Italians are the best. The food, the cuisine. The, the cuisine food. alone is worth, oh. So anyway, enough about how much I love Italians. <laughs> this is all a theory. Nothing's proven. <laughs> Continue. Continue. Anyway, um, so obviously his brother, you know, betrayed him. So he acted in a way that he saw fit for the situation, mm -hmm. which just shows that how loyal they are to each other, but how easily it can change mm -hmm. and things can happen. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. So basically, this was kind of the theory that some family of Louis DeFusco was coming with because there was certainly heavy mob-related ties in the 60s mm -hmm. around Providence in that marina area, and that's, like you said, the quote from his son, Robert DeFusco, nobody kills like that but the mob. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those theories about how Louis really met his death. And, you know, he died in 1964, which is 57 years ago, still no answer. And I hate to say it, but I'm, I don't think there ever will be. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. And his family feels the same way. Um, they know that, you know, with all this time that's passed, they know it's going to be almost impossible to find who did it. Yeah. Um, but at least they have it on record that he did not take his own life. Right. Um, and then July 7th, 2018, at 69 years old, Robert passed away suddenly. Oh, and although he didn't receive all of the answers about his father that he would have liked, he was able to die in peace, knowing that his father did not take his own life and that he was able to contribute to helping find his father's true cause of death. Oh, that's sad. Mm -hmm. Oh, poor thing. Yeah. That's got to be tough, you know, passing away and not having the answers about your dad. Mm -hmm. Any family member. That's so sad. Poor thing. So, yeah, that's a very confusing suspicious case of Louis DeFusco. Yeah, and it sucks that there's not a ton of information about this is that, yeah. and that no one really knows about this case. Yeah, it's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I almost want to go to Rhode Island. Oh, road trip idea. Let's go to Rhode Island and go through their town halls, like newspaper <laughs> and their documents and just let's solve this case. The mob probably had it all burned. <laughs> And that was one of the theories, too, is that the um, the bullet wound to the back of the head was so conveniently missed. Mm. Um, they were wondering if that was perhaps on purpose yeah. and that maybe the medical examiner was being threatened. Ooh. Maybe law enforcement was corrupt and involved with the mob and Could they be. wanted to really sell the family on this idea. Could be. So, yeah, just, just some theories. That's a good theory. I mm -hmm. like that. It's possible. 
And yeah. it definitely sounds like one of those theories or storylines you'd see in like a 60s movie about the mafia. Like, hey, and they have a c- cigar hanging out of their mouth. Yeah. They're wearing a pinstripe suit. And they're like, hey, I mm-hmm. heard you're going to be, I, I can't do an accent. But as we know, law enforcement and police were often involved with or, you know, corrupted by the mob and the mafia. Yeah. So it's not an impossible theory. It's definitely not. That's good. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. All right. So like we said at the top of the show, this is why we do this show, because we want to bring light, talk about these cases that people don't know about. Had you ever heard of this case? Never. Me neither. I was talking about it with my dad. He had never heard of it. It's just one of those things we want to make sure people know. Because if not, you know, bringing awareness, it's also a very interesting story at the end of the day. And it fits into our topic of true crime, Mm -hmm. specifically in New England. So nailed it. Totally nailed it. And it's an interesting story for sure. Mm -hmm. So suspicious. I was reading it while I was at work on my night shift. And I was just sitting there like around his and the and the teeth in his mouth oh so weird oh it's it's just crazy yeah and the fact that this had no coverage um again i wonder if it's related to possible mob ties could be possible nothing's proven nothing's proven we love everyone that's ever been italian (laughs) we love the mob anyone who's ever been accused of being in the mob we support you (laughs) please don't come find us (laughs) we um we do, we do a podcast in New England, but we don't live in New England. We're not here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You'll never find it. You'll never find it. But it's just a theory. So. Right. And you know what else is just a theory? Is whether or not the people listening follow us on Instagram and Twitter. This is true. That was the worst segue ever, <laughs> but I'm keeping it. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at truecrimene. All lowercase. And you can email us at truecrimene at gmail.com, of course. And basically just send us DMs. Please, we beg you, rate and review. You don't have to leave a review. Just put in the number of stars, like on Mm -hmm. Apple Podcasts. Honestly, I'm not telling you to put in five stars. If you don't believe that's true, don't do it. Put in whatever you feel is we're we're worthy of rate us no matter what it gets more views and listens if you have more rates so Mm -hmm. we appreciate it there have been some people who left such nice reviews for us crying reading those it's really sweet it's so nice so please guys if you have one second when you start listening to the this week's episode whatever just leave a star whatever Mm -hmm. you know Um, your honest opinion, your honest feedback. You can always tell us honestly because what we want to do is improve so more people listen, so more stories get light. Mm -hmm. And that's all that's important to us. Yeah, so we will take constructive criticism. Absolutely. um, You know, slide into our DMs, whatever. (laughs) Shoot us an email. Yeah. But yeah, any feedback is appreciated. And we appreciate you guys listening Mm -hmm. so much. And we hope you tune in with us next week. Yeah, bye. Goodbye.